Well, good morning. I rejoice in the opportunity to to bring you all the word this morning. And if you guys have your Bibles, you can and turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And the, the title of this, of this message is called, You Don't Have to Worry. God's Plan for, for Overcoming Anxiety. I thought I'd start off our time by kind of leveling the playing ground a little bit here and asking you all this, this question. Have you ever been anxious? Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I thought. No, the reality is that all of us at some time or another deal with anxiety, right? And when I think of anxiety, my, my mind goes back to our time in Papua New Guinea as, as tribal church planters. And the, and the first time that I, that I saw Jenny, she was supposedly two years old, but, but we certainly wouldn't recognize her as a two-year-old. My, my wife and I, Shannon, were sitting outside our house and, and Nona, Jenny's older sister, came walking up to our house and she had Jenny in a little string bag, right, that was tied around her neck. And Jenny was just screaming and crying. And I, and I asked Jenny as she came up, why is she crying? And she said, I don't know. She's been crying for the last couple of weeks and I can't get her to stop. That's why I'm here, for you to help me. And, and my wife and I looked at her and we said, well, 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 Nona, where's your mom? Hasn't your mom been looking after Jenny? This, this, this isn't your baby. This is your mom's. And she said, Jason, you know, my, my dad died over a year ago and, and, and Sabien, our village sorcerer, took my, took my mom just recently. When, and, and when he took her, he said, you can't look after this child because she's not mine. And so my, my, my mom handed little Jenny to me. And I've been looking after her and I don't know what to do anymore. And I said, well, can, can we see what she, what she looks like? And, and she pulled her out of this bag, this string bag, and um, it was incredibly disheartening. Not only was Jenny, not, did she not look like a two-year-old, she, but she looked like a little baby. She was all skin and bones. She could barely move. But she was dirty, everywhere dirty, like she hadn't been washed for, for, for months. And then as we looked at her better, she actually had boils all over her body. And, and that began, a, a, honestly, an ordeal of, of us looking after little Jenny. When I say us, it really was my wife. Nona would come and, and, and Shannon would, would help Nona learn how to, how to clean Jenny and wash her and tend to her boils. She'd give her food teach Nona how to, how to feed Jenny better. And week after week after week, praise the Lord, she started gaining weight and started doing better. But her situation didn't get any better. 
And I went to the village and started applying pressure, finding out, well, how come nobody has taken her? Somebody else in the village must want to take her. At, at that time, there was a church. They were functioning as, as a group of believers. So I approached the church and, and everybody kind of put their hands back and said, no, no, no. If we try to look after her, Sabian, who is now married to, to, to Jenny's mom, has said that, that he'll not only hurt her, he'll hurt whoever's looking after her. So nobody in the village would do anything. So we decided, okay, we have to go. Actually, we, we, we thought about adopting her ourselves. And yet our mission has a policy, and, and praise the Lord for that, that policy, that we, can't, we couldn't adopt her since she was within our own work. So we started looking outside of ourselves and praise the Lord, a, a village downriver that was actually somewhat related to Jenny and, and her family took her. But they were so scared that they wouldn't come up to our village to get her, we actually had to send somebody down with her. And today, if you saw Jenny, she would look like all the other young women in, in her village there except for one big difference. Her name isn't Jenny anymore. It's Swasau. And what Swasau means in, in the Sino language is throwaway. That, that's literally her name. And to say that, that that was an easy situation for my family and I to go through would be a total lie. And to say that, that, that this title of anxiety and how to overcome anxiety doesn't reach into my heart would be a total lie. My wife struggled throughout this whole situation, those weeks that went into months, wondering if Sabian was going to come and do harm to us or to her, if this was ever going to come to fruition. It had such an effect upon Shannon that, that, that she had started having panic attacks and, 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 and hunching over like this, and, 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 and we did not know what to do. So we went to our doctor. We, we, we got some help, came back in, in into the village, but still life went on even after Jenny was gone and, and, and Shannon was still incredibly fragile. And so we decided we needed to come home and we needed to tend to, to my wife and do whatever needed to happen in order for her to, to start to, to live in the midst of all this anxiety and panic attacks. And even as we traveled home, I remember going through, stopping through Sydney and I had to literally find a place where there was no people because just crowds put her in over the edge. So, so when I talk about anxiety, I, I talk about from past experience, not, not only in my wife's life, but, but my own life. And, and as we came home and as, I, as we started looking into different you know, things that we could do, we started talking to people. You know what everybody said? Oh, I've had panic attacks. I still have them. Pastors, oh yes. Missionaries, oh yes, we have panic. And it, it, man, woman, it didn't matter. Everybody was struggling with this. And then I, then I look, if you look on the internet, you'll find that 40 million adults in the United States, States suffer some sort of anxiety disorder. You're going to go globally, you'll find that it's one out of 13. And I'd love to say that children, that, that they miss out on this. No, it's actually one out of, out of ten children. And we know high school students that struggle with it. 
And I'm sure all of us have asked, why? Is it, is it because we're so busy? Maybe. The more important question is, what does God's word say about this? Does God's word speak to this situation? And so you may be thinking that, that, that I know about you and that's why I chose this text. I chose this text because I know about me. And because I knew this week was going to be crazy. And, and to be completely honest, the last 24 hours, I, I've been more anxious than I have been in a long time. Wondering, man, am I going to get up here and I'm going to forget everything and just go blank? Or is somebody going to ask me a question this week that, I, I, that will just throw me into a tizzy? But praise the Lord, His Word has answers. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see God's plan for overcoming anxiety. We're going to see a threefold plan. And first, we're going to see when to be anxious. Or more to the point, when not to be anxious. Second, we're going to see what we need to do instead of being anxious. What does God want us to do? Third, we're going to see a promise. A promise and a wonderful result of following God's plan for anxiety. So turn with me to Philippians and, and, and the majority of where we're going to be staying is verses 6 and 7. But I'd like to start off in verses 4 and 5 as a background, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, since we're just dropping into the book of Ephesians, I have to give you a little bit of backdrop and background, right? That even though the Apostle Paul is saying rejoice, and and actually says it twice, that his circumstances were not the kind of circumstances where you would think somebody would be saying rejoice. Right? He, this is one of the prison epistles. He was in, under house arrest. And before you think that that was a bed of roses and that he had a channel clicker and was just, you know, being fed and eating tele- and watching television all day. No, he was chained to a guard 24-7. They swapped out the guards like every six hours or something. The chain was only 18 inches long. So he was constantly being reminded of what? That he was in slavery, really. Right? That he didn't have freedom. And yet, he says over and over again in the book of Philippians, which this is its theme, rejoice, be joyful. And, and those words, they're used like 13 times in this small epistle. But notice how he says rejoice. Here he adds a nuance and he, and he actually brings it up Again, in in, in verse 10, rejoice in the Lord, not in the circumstance that you're in, because there may not be any rejoicing in the circumstance that you're in, but in your great God, in the relationship that you have, because you are redeemed, because you have been bought, because you have been grafted into Christ, and that will never be taken from you. That is what you can rejoice in. Rejoice in the Lord. Not only that, look at what he says at the end of verse 5. The Lord is near. You know what tends to happen to us when, when we start to get overcome with all of our anxious thoughts and, and, and all the craziness of the situation that we find ourselves facing? We forget that our God is near. Don't we? And we get our eyes off of Him, who is really not Him. It's Him right here with us. 
and we get our eyes on everything else and we become overwhelmed. So that is what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He is focusing upon God and letting these believers in Philippi know, man, God is near. No matter what you're going through, no matter what I'm going through, God is near. And He wants us to rejoice. And how do we rejoice in, 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 in difficult circumstances? And that's what he's going to unpack, or what I'm going to unpack in verses 6 and 7. So let's look at verses 6 and 7. Which says, Be anxious for nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the first piece of the puzzle, the first part of, of God's plan then, is the when. When to be anxious. And, and, and what does Paul say? He says, don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, or, or, or more accurately, stop worrying. And you'd be interested to know that in the Greek, this word... It isn't worry, it isn't anxiety, it's concern. And if we were to turn back just a couple chapters in the book of Philippians, you'd find the same word used in a positive aspect. So this is something that would be okay for you to be anxious in this kind of way, but it's not really anxious, it's turned concern. And when he describes Timothy, this is what he says in Philippians 2.20, to be mindfully concerned for the welfare of others. So in, in that aspect, that's a good thing. If you're going to be concerned about something, be mindfully concerned for others and love them first before yourself. But that isn't what he's talking about here in chapter 4. Here he's talking about the negative aspect of this concern. And literally what it means in the Greek is it's to be pulled different directions. And that's what happens when, when we get in these anxious ways, Right? That on the one hand, we recognize that God is in control. That we do have our hope in Him. That, that, that He is going to work this out. But on the other hand, what happens? We get pulled over here by this thought to, well, maybe not. Maybe this is one that's kind of gone underneath God's radar. I, I know He's got a filter for things, but man, this, this is too much. I know your word says that, that we can stand up under anything. That you're not going to tempt us beyond what we can handle. But God, this is too much. But, but is that the case? Man, hold on. Let's see what, 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 what God wants to teach us this morning. Man, there's gold in these verses. And there's encouragement. So the, the, the negative aspect in, in a literal sense is to be pulled different directions. But I, but I have in your notes, if you guys like to take notes, I have the fill-ins in there. And I like these three definitions of, of anxiety. The first one is a harassing care. A harassing care. And isn't that what it is? When you're anxious and worried over something, it's just harassing you. It's like the flies that come out when you're eating at a picnic table and it's summer and, and yeah, right? They're just harassing you. That's what this nervousness, this anxiety is. It's harassing you. When I started seminary and I started Hebrew, Oh my, you guys have no idea how much that was harassing me. And it was keeping me from sleeping. I've never missed sleep over such things. But my mind would not turn off. It was like a motor that just kept going, Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew. And I, and I couldn't, I, I wasn't sleeping. 
And, and I was miserable. I'm still not like that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But that's what, that's what that idea is, a harassing care. The next one is attempting to carry the burden. Attempting to carry the burden of the future by yourself. Listen, we weren't meant to carry burdens by ourselves, right? Christ wants to help us carry the burdens for one. But for two, you and I don't have eternal perspective on things. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. And oftentimes when we are so concerned about the future and we build a bridge to get us over this great big river that we're going to have to cross, we find out sometimes that wasn't even a river you needed to cross and that God fixes it, right? And you were so worried about this thing that never came to fruition. I remember when it turned 2000. Do you remember? And everybody was completely overwhelmed with, oh my, all the computers in the world are going to stop. They're going to go back to zero. And, and, and there's just going to be mayhem. Is that what happened? No. And so that, that, that's the idea. Attempted to carry the burden of the future yourself. Or an unreasonable anxiety, especially about things over which you have no control. Can any of you relate with that one? Especially over things which you have no control. Where we lived in Papua New Guinea, malaria was prevalent. Each of my kids, except for maybe Kylie, my youngest, has had malaria several times. I've had malaria, let's see, I always just say, more than I can use my fingers to count. This was something that we had to deal with. Were, were we in control of whether or not our kids got malaria? No. Are you in control over your, your present health situation? No. These things we need to give to the Lord, right? And Paul is recognizing that these aren't imaginary troubles. These aren't phantom anxieties. These are realities that we each face. And even though each of our realities is is a little different, I'm sure none of you woke up this morning being anxious about coming here and preaching. (laughs) Right? But you did wake up this morning and you might have been battling some anxiety about something. And you know what Paul is saying? He's saying God is greater than all of our troubles. God is bigger than all of that. And I recognize that for some of you, anxiety goes way back. And it's been a pattern for years and years and years. And you're thinking, oh, Jason, if you only knew. But think with me for a moment. Let's go back in American history to Abraham Lincoln and to the... Emancipation Proclamation, right? That that document, that proclamation, what did it do? It freed the slaves. Praise the Lord, it freed the slaves. But do you know what happened? Did everybody act as though they were free from that point on? No, there were many slaves who because of the pattern of their life, for so long they had lived like that, That even though they were free, they didn't act like they were free. They kept being slaves. And and what needed to happen is that when they were tempted to think like a slave, they needed to say, no, the truth is I am now a free man. 
They needed to appropriate that truth into their daily lives. And you and I, we need to do the same thing. And that's why the book of Romans, chapter 12, very familiar verse, that says we're to be transformed by what? By the renewing of our minds. And so some of us, we need to have our minds renewed. We need to be reminded of these truths. So we've seen, first, that the believer is commanded, and this is another fill-in, the believer is commanded not to be anxious or, sorry, the believer is commanded when not to be anxious. Always. And I know that's kind of weird. So if you want to flip it around and say, the believer is commanded when to be anxious, you could say never. In, in Papua New Guinea, lots of times our people would say things in the negative for emphasis. So that's what I was going after. When is there a time when you can be anxious? Never. And, and, and why is that? Because God's Word says that this is a command. A command. That, that doesn't mean it's, it's something that we get to say, well, today, I, that's okay, I'm going to skip over that verse. And, and I recognize how, how difficult that this is. What do you mean? Don't be anxious. Stop worrying. But that's what the Apostle Paul says. And how do you do that? How do you stop being anxious? And is that all that God's Word says? Is just stop doing this and then keep going on with your life. No, that's where we come into the next aspect. God's answer to our anxiety. That little word, but. Halfway into verse 6, right? Be anxious for nothing, but... In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known. God's answer is prayer, but it's not just prayer. It's prayer what? With thanksgiving. How do you do that? Okay, first you're telling me that it's a command and, and for me not to be, for me to be anxious then is sin because I'm in disobedience. And now you're telling me that not only Am I not to be anxious, but I'm to pray, and I'm to pray with thanksgiving over this particular anxiety that I'm, that I'm dealing with. You are crazy. Well, I'm not saying it. That's what God's Word says. And I agree. I struggle with the same thing. But it's all about our focus. Remember how I said, remember God is near? Well, we have to remember God is also good in everything that He does. And that He can take something like this, Whatever it is that you're holding on to that is just occupying your mind and that you're struggling with anxiety and He can use it. Right? Because that is the God that we serve. He is sovereign. He is in control of all things. Nothing has ducked under His little radar. And so prayer, thanksgiving. And you'll notice that there's four different words that Paul uses for prayer here. He uses prayer, supplication, thanksgiving and requests. He's not giving us four different ways to pray or four manners in which we pray. He's giving us one manner with thanksgiving. And and what he's saying is, okay, prayer is in the general sense that we're all supposed to be in submission to God all day long. We're supposed to be in kind of an attitude of prayer, showing our dependence upon Him. But what is the supplication? The supplication then is where it zeroes in 
And it's referring to, to one particular object or whatever particular things that you are really being anxious about. And that you take that before the Lord with thanksgiving, recognizing that He's sovereign, that He's in this, and that He hasn't abandoned you, and that He will help you through this. We haven't even gotten to the gold yet, because that's found in verse 7. This is more of the put-off, put-on principle that we see in in, in different epistles by the Apostle Paul. And in in our village, our people talked all, all the time about putting off this shirt and putting on that shirt. So what is he saying? He's saying, put off anxiety and put on prayer. And didn't Jesus say the same thing? Turn with me to, back to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, 25 to, to 34. Very famous passage of Scripture. that we're all probably familiar with. But good for us to remember because Jesus spoke to, to being anxious as well. Actually, several times. Matthew six twenty five to, to 34. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who among you, or who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What's Jesus' whole point? His whole point is, stop worrying about all these things and seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first me and your relationship with me. Don't be so overly concerned with all these other things that you what? That you forget about seeking me. Because seeking me is the thing that won't be taken from you. Oh yes, and on top of all of that, I've got it covered. Just look at the birds. It literally says God feeds them. That's the work of our God. It's not happenstance. That just happens? No, God feeds them. If, if that wasn't enough to convince you, let's look at, at Luke. Another very familiar passage. And, and here we're going to see more of this contrast between the, the many and the one. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And, and Mary and Martha. We all know about this one, right? 
And everybody's always, well, who are you? Are you Martha or are you Mary? Well, I, I don't want us to so much zero in on that as zero, zeroing in on the one versus the many. Because in that, we're going to see what, what Mary's focus was and why her focus was so sweet in the eyes of our Lord and why Martha's focus was not and why she was admonished. And it's because one was concerned about the one. That's Mary. The other was concerned about all these other things. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. And you might be thinking, what does this have to do with prayer? Well, well, just think with me for a moment. What, what was Mary doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus Listening to his, it doesn't say words. Did, did you catch that? It says word in 39. And yet what was Martha all about? She was distracted with all of her preparations, plural, with all the things that she was doing. And so what does Jesus say? He says, Martha, you are, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Mary chose the right thing. It was me. In the midst of your anxieties, in the midst of all the craziness of life, what are we supposed to focus on? We're supposed to focus on Jesus, on our Lord. We're supposed to come with thanksgiving and prayer, recognizing that He is sovereign, but also recognizing that there's no one else that we should be coming to. And how many times when you guys get faced with something that's just driving you crazy with anxiety and nervousness, that you find maybe even a couple hours later, your first response wasn't to go to the Lord. Right? Your first response is to figure it out yourself. Or at least that's the way I am, and maybe I'm the only one like that. <laughs> Instead of going to Him. And, and, and that's what, what even Jesus is, is telling Martha. Man, she chose to worship me. She chose to spend time with me at my feet. Okay, so turn back with me to Philippians. So we've seen... We're to put off anxiety. And second, that as we put off anxiety, if you want to think of it as a shirt, we're to put on what? Prayer with thankfulness. That we're supposed to get our gaze back onto our Lord. Think of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to His Word. That's what we need to do. But now we're going to see what God says will be the result of, of those that follow His plan. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the next fill-in part in, in, in your notes if, if you're doing that. This is the third part of God's plan against anxiety. And it's God's promise God's promise to those who follow God's plan for anxiety. The peace of God will guard 
the heart and the mind of, of the believer. I, I, I spoke earlier that, that, we're, that there's gold <laughs> in God's Word this morning for us. I, I hope that, that you'll see that in this. Because this truly is a promise and a blessing that God is, is, is giving us here. You see, Paul understood that the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. But also he understood that the opposite of anxiety is what? Peace. That, that tranquil calmness, that serenity that comes. And really, there are, there are only two kinds of peace that we see in, in, in God's Word. We see that you have peace from God and peace with God. But you can't have peace from God until you first have peace with God. And the only way for you to have peace with God is for you to recognize that you're a sinner and that you are His enemy. And that if you just let things stay the way that they are between you and God, that you'll never know what peace with God is. And that is the whole reason why He sent Jesus. To die on the cross for sins, right? So that we could then have peace with God. That if we accept Him and believe in Him and repent of our sins, trust Him as our Savior, what will happen? God will give us that peace. We will have peace with God. And if there are some of you that have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, please come and talk to to me or or some of the guys up here after the service. But this isn't talking about peace with God. This is talking about peace from God. And and look again with me at verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. That literally means the peace that rises above every mind. It it goes beyond what, what man can possibly understand. It's God's peace produces exceedingly better results And listen to this. This is where the gold is. God's peace produces exceedingly better results than anything that the human mind can come up with or our human planning can devise. That's how incredible our God is. And and oftentimes, we think of that peace as something that you kind of step into. Right? If I could dim the lights, I can tell all my kids to be quiet and just make the house a little bit mellower, then then maybe somehow... this, all this anxiety that I have will just go away. But if we, if we turned over just a couple pages in your Bible, depending on if you have a study Bible or not, to Colossians 3.15, you would see that, that God's peace isn't like that. That God's peace is actually active. Colossians 3.15, it says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. This word rule, it, in the Greek, it, it's, it's the idea of, of referees in sports, determining the outcomes of different plays and determining at the end who's the winner and who's the loser. When faced with anxiety in the same way, the peace of God will help the believer determine the best thoughts to occupy their mind. Isn't that encouraging? That God's peace will actually help you in determining what is the best thing for you to be thinking about instead of just going around and around and around 
with your nervous anxiety. That that's why you focus on the Lord. You trust Him. You take off that anxiety. You put on prayer with thanksgiving. And then He gives you this peace that will help occupy your mind and give you the right thoughts. This is very similar to what we see in verse 7 in Philippians 4. That this peace will do what? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This word guard, it's a military term. To where it's the idea of a garrison or, 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 or an army surrounding a city and protecting it. Protecting it from what? From attack. In the same way a believer's mind will be guarded as if a camp and preserved from the intrusion of what? Of these fears and anxieties and all these other things that, that like to just come in and, and take root, right? And isn't that encouraging? To see that, God wor- that God's Word speaks to, to our everyday lives and to the things that, that vie for our attention. And so in wrapping it up, we see that we're to put away anxiety that we're to recognize it as, as, as sin. And we're to put on prayer with thanksgiving. And as a result, if we follow God's plan, that God will grant His peace to, to guard the believer's heart and mind. But what, what do you do with this? Right? For those of you that don't always have your Bible and can, can whip open to <laughs> Philippians 4. In, in our village, the, the people used to always say, Jason, we need something to... To, to put in our bags that we can think about this. So give us three things or, or this or that that we can then chew on for the rest of the week. So, so here's your three things to chew on. It's, it's in an acronym and you'll probably forget what each of these things mean, but you'll remember the acronym because the acronym is CAR. C-A-R. And we're all familiar with cars and actually lots of people have a hard time with anxiety and panic attacks by driving, especially Southern California, right? Yeah. So, so the acronym is CAR. And, and what it means is confess, acknowledge, and recognize. And it's kind of taking this aspect and, and, and consolidating it down. Confess, acknowledge, recognize. What do you confess? You confess that your anxiety, that your anxious thoughts, that they're sin. That God's Word says that you're supposed to put that off, that you're supposed to stop worrying. Now I recognize, as I said earlier, this last 24 hours, my, Man, I have had to do this over and over and over again. No, I don't need to think about those things. I need to think about you, Lord. So the first C of the car is confess. Confess your anxious thoughts of sin. Second, acknowledge God is sovereign. Acknowledge that God is sovereign and pray with thanksgiving about the circumstances. Again, It is very difficult to pray with thanksgiving if you don't recognize that God is sovereign. So we need to recognize that God is indeed in control. And then we can pray with thanksgiving saying, okay, God, yes. Man, look at all the things that you, the bad things you used in the life of Joseph. I know that you can use this in my life and that you want to. Help me to trust you and rely upon your sovereignty and your goodness because you are truly good in everything that you do. The final thing, recognize. Recognize that if these steps are taken, God's peace will come as it guards your heart and your mind against anxiety coming and assailing you. I know you can look on the internet and you can find all sorts of relaxation 
techniques and all sorts of other things. But that's not going to be the same, is it? No, don't go to what the world has to offer you. Go to what God's Word says. And let's stand upon His Word. And let's submit to His Word. And let's watch God work. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for just Your wonderful Word and how it speaks to every area of our lives, even the areas of of anxiety and nervousness, the tension that happens through that. We pray that, that You would continue to change us, that You would continue to transform us into the image of Your Son, and that You would use Your Word in our hearts and in our lives, and that You would remind us to confess our anxious thoughts of sin and to acknowledge that you are sovereign and to pray to you with thanksgiving and that we would be convinced that that your peace will guard us and guard our hearts and our minds. For it's in Jesus Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.